Welcome back, sports fans, to WDBT, your home for live sports coverage and anime dub opinions, live from Megalonia. We've been covering the fight between Gearless Joe and Yuri, and it has been a brutal throwdown that we'll still be talking about years from now. The contenders are about to re-enter the ring, and we'll be bringing you live coverage until the final bell. But before we return to the action, a disclaimer. Please remember that this program contains strong language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences, and listener discretion is advised. Keep those young lungs away, you never know what anyone might say, me included. Also, be aware that spoilers for Megalobox, as well as any other anime, may occur. So be aware if there is a series or movie you haven't watched yet. But I imagine spoilers for the fight is probably why you tuned in to begin with, isn't it? Finally, the views and opinions are those of the individual participants of this episode, and do not reflect WDBT as a whole. Alright, the fighters are ready, and there's the bell! They're circling each other, clearly looking for an opening. Now Joe's on the attack, giving a left, a right, Oh! Yuri surprises him with an uppercut. Joe blocked most of it, but he's stunned, and Yuri takes the opening. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome one and all to Megalonia. The fiercest, rawest spectacle of man and machine clanking and clashing together to show the world who is, in fact, the real deal. Any man, woman, or even stray dog gets the chance to show who's got the guts and the glory to take it all. In the red corner, we got our resident master of the dusty old songs, Abadul! I could have been a contender, Great Gazoo. And then I was one in that movie I was in. In the blue corner, we got our resident chart master with his team of support pugs in his corner and his dachshunds ready to give him the juice. Roots of Justice! You gotta eat lightning and crap thunder, Rocky. Hit that mate! And finally, last but not least, in the black corner, the watcher of manliness and manime himself, stepping back into the ring after some time away, Lack the Watcher! Uppercut! Uppercut! Body blow! Body blow! Ah, yes, I see. This is going to be a tight match, isn't it? Today, we're showing everybody what we've got. And what we got is knowledge on English-dubbed anime. Today, we're going to cover the dub of the 2018 anime series from TMS Entertainment, Yo Moriyama and Viz Media, in regards to the 50th anniversary animation project commemorating Ashita no Jo. We're covering Megalobox. Ah, so... TMS's, like, campaign to just anniversary everything they own right now. So this show was very interesting, especially in regards to me, because I had actually never seen anything regarding uh, Ashita no Joe before, or not even a lot of boxing anime, but this is extremely accessible to new audiences very easily, and it's a completely original story made fresh from the ground up. As for what that story is, here's the synopsis. 
Chunk Dog, an underground fighter of Megalobox, an evolution of boxing that utilizes limbs known as gear to enhance the speed and power of its users. Despite the young man's brimming potential as a boxer, the illegal nature of his participation forces him to make a living off throwing matches as dictated by his boss, Gansaku Nanbu. However, this all changes when the Megalobox champion, Yuri, enters his shabby ring under the guise of just another challenger. Take it out in a single round, Junk Dog is left with a challenge. Fight Yuri in Megalobox. Filled with overwhelming excitement and backed by the criminal syndicate responsible for his throne matches, Junk Dog enters Megalonia, a world-spanning tournament that will decide the strongest Megaloboxer of them all. Having no name of his own, he takes on the moniker of Joe as he begins his climb from the very bottom of the ranked list of fighters. With only three months left to qualify, Joe must face off against opponents the likes of which he has never fought in order to meet the challenge of his rival. Ah, so it's basically a literal underdog story. And then he's killed in the ring and his son becomes the daredevil. Oh my god, <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you, this is not Daredevil. Uh, so, friends, what did we think of Megalobox? Has anybody here watched it before, or is this your first time experiencing the Megaloboxing spectacle? Well, um, for me, uh, I had actually watched a little bit of Ashita no Joe prior to the announcement of Megalobox. I was actually really excited when they announced Megalobox, because I was like, Oh my god, we're getting more Ashita no Joe stuff, that's pretty cool. Um, and I actually, this is one of the few anime I've actually watched the whole way through prior to watching the dub. So, oh, really now? Yeah. Like, I, I tend to not be very good at finishing anime that I start. Uh, Fire Force and Demon Slayer being two great examples currently. Um, but yeah, no, I was actually, I, I watched this one the whole way through and it was really cool to be able to watch the dub. So. Nice. Roots, Amon? Uh, yeah, I had basically watched Megalobox up to the end of the, um, the Fujimaki arc. Nice, so, okay. And, and in terms of, like, boxing anime experience, it's basically, like, I, I really hadn't seen much of um, Ashitano Joe or Tomorrow's Joe, but I am very much a fan of Hajime no Ippo. Hmm, yeah, no, there's a lot, there's a lot of Ippo at this point, isn't there? Over a thousand like, chapters have Good fun. lord. A thousand chapters? But then again, it's also probably never coming to America because of that intimidating length, so... Uh-huh. I mean, look. Kaiji's happening in at least manga form, so you never know. True. To, if, if, if Denpa goes out of business in the next year, I am blaming that statement for it. Don't, <laughs> oh, bring, don't bring that into this household. The manga Look, market has crashed and burned before. It could very well do it again. It's it's going hot right now, and I think Dempa's got the chops for it. I believe in you guys. They do have porn money, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> what? They do. They're a Faku affiliate. They have porn money. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting episode. Oh, you bet. like, Kodansha connections uh, good. via... Because uh, they're they're ex vertical people, and then Faku brings the porn money. Faku brings all of the porn money. God bless them. 
Um, but to answer your actual question, I had not watched this before because I don't have any time in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen a lot of any boxing manga or anime, frankly. But I am a fan of things where two men beat the ever living shit out of each other, so that was very appealing. There is a lot of two men beating the ever living shit out of each other. I've also realized there's a lot of undertones regarding two men beating the shit out of each other. I, I it's called, I can't, the word you're looking for is homoerotic, Andrew. It is. Freudianism it is, is the. Oh boy! My, once once we my, get to talking about yeah. My friend Robin was here. He would talk at length about that. Oh, this is. There's a lot of tension going on there. There, there's a lot of symbolism. There's no time to talk about all the great visual choices, all the wonderful. Sc the score of this is unbelievable, by the way, and the cool visual effects to make this look as retro as possible. What exactly do they do with that, Roots? Oh, they um, produce the entire series on basically a quarter of the of the paper that they use for right. for their animation. They only used a quarter of it so that the finished product would only be at 480p. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I remember hearing that like like they 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 like digitally like lower qualityed it right or something like that. So, like they intentionally made this project look about as retro and old school as they could, yeah. while also making it feel like a new show, which is kind of nuts actually. Like they it went really does feel like. A early to mid 2000s anime and it's it's really nice without all the like horrible it. cgi <laughs> oh oh yeah yeah there's there was some jag cg the only time i ever noticed that was like when you got the sweeping shots of megalonia and you saw some of the crowd but that was really it but yeah. you could tell this series was made this was somebody's passion project baby and this was a sight to behold I personally feel it was the real deal. Yeah, somebody now, the was question... clearly a fan of Ashita no Joe growing up, like the director, and they really wanted to just do this as a love letter to the series. So. Absolutely. Oh, so no, the question—it's even—it's even better. Like, um, what's the yeah, the director hadn't directed anything before. Uh, he he had worked on a lot of anime before, but I think this was his like solo directorial debut project. Yeah, he was apparently very surprised when the producers approached him because it's like. Oh, and the, my other thing is the screenwriter has... You know what he's done before? What? Uh, he wrote two Fist of the North Star movies. Oh, and yeah! And, no, 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 you misunderstand. That's it. This is like the oh. third anime he's ever written. I mean, that makes wow, sense, really? because the movies were done by TMS. Exactly. So. I mean, that's still surprising. Like, for somebody with few writing credits, that's... That's impressive. Yeah, I think he I was... There's he, a... like, Moonlights is like a tokusatsu director... Mm. Or not, not director, writer, I'm sorry. It, regardless, Yo Moriyama seems like a man who knows his stuff, and I personally feel that he is, in fact, the real deal. But, can the same be said for our English dub? Now, with any good fighter, you need a good supporting crew in their corner to help them out when they need it. And for English dub anime, the crew in the corner is the ADR director and script writers. So, we are just doing this as a straight review of the entirety of the Megalobox anime. 
So we are not going to do this with any predictions. We are just going to go into the crew and what they did. Our director for this project is one Ezra Weiss, along with uh, script writers and script adapters, Dave Cassipit and Mike McFarlane. Ezra Weiss has directed such anime as A Little Snow Fairy Sugar, Be the Beginning, Ingress the Animation, and Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo. Dave Caspit is more of a producer when it comes to Viz Media projects, but he did assist with the script for One Punch Man, both Season 1 and Season 2. Mike McFarlane is a veteran at Funimation, but he is no stranger to script adaptation for Bang Zoom related dubs, because this is a Bang Zoom dub. He's also written for One Punch Man, Mob Psycho 100, The Seven Deadly Sins, Revival of the Commandments, and Cyborg 009, Call of Justice. He did Seven Deadly Sins? I didn't know that. Uh, specifically the second season, as far as A&N is concerned. Okay. Yeah, I think Joel McDonald did the first. Huh. Right, right, right. So yeah, so starting us round the corner, let's begin with Amon. What did you think of the technical aspect of this dub? Everything behind the scenes going on. What'd you think? This dub's great. This is the best dub I've ever heard. Whoosh. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little, but not a lot. Mm. Like this is this. I think this immediately vaulted into the top ten like halfway through. Uh, wow really yeah well it helps that it's a really good show and i think the dub the dub very much matches the quality of the material it's working with so that that unquestionably helps um but i think this is just really well done it sounds great the localization is wonderful um this sound it sounds so natural and it sounds so good that i occasionally would forget that this is technically still supposed to be set in japan in my mind, it was like, oh, this is like Southern California or something, right? This is like whatever, wherever L.A. used to be after it fell and they built something up new. That's where this is, right? They probably tried to westernize it a little bit for like I, the, I, yeah. I mean, I think, I like, think, do you mean the show or the dub tried to westernize it? The show. To the point we were talking about uh, before we were recording about this being very popular in Latin America, I don't think it's a coincidence that one of the final four boxers is a like Latin boxer. Yeah. Like, well, there, were, not... there were Latin boxers in Ashita. Right, okay. So. That's true. But like, I, I, I feel like the fact that it, it, it feels like the fact that they, it feels a little more universal like this, you know, like it's technically Japan, but like there are probably a lot of places this feels like it can be said. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, it just feels like slightly futuristic slum fancy city world. The world you're working for is cyberpunk. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> you're right! <laughs> I can't believe I just blanked out what the fuck cyberpunk is. Thank you, Amon, for shaming me for being a film. You're master. breathtaking! It, no. <laughs> in, in your defense, cyberpunk sports is a very tiny genre. It's this and motorball. Oh, uh, no, I was going to say this... That motorball and real steel, the Hugh Jackman movie. Yeah, no, that fit. Also, robot jocks. Oh, I forgot about robot jocks. Shame on. I don't. You. Okay. We'll, we'll 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 talk later. Anyways, um, this is a really like I as I was saying, I think the localization on this is excellent. The script writing is wonderful. Uh, this fit. The, the, this all feels like it fits the characters so well. It fits this world so well. It hits the right point of being 
you know, dramatic in the way and melodramatic in the way you want a good sports anime to be, but having this groundedness to it. And I think works really well with uh, just kind of the setting, which is very, which, you know, it does that thing. It's very futuristic, but, you know, uh, our lead character is basically a non-citizen because he doesn't have a anything, really. He's, he doesn't even have a real name, frankly. He's just Junk Dog. Which, that's such a cool name. Junk Dog. Um, and that's good, and I think the direction is absolutely fantastic. Everybody in this entire show is cast perfectly. Um, the performances are just wonderful. This is so this is so good. I'm so, I was not watching this when it was on Toonami, but I'm so happy it got to be broadcast on Toonami because this is the kind this is the kind of stuff that I want being put on terrestrial television where, you know, even if you know, TV viewing is down overall compared to streaming or whatever, like more people can watch this because it's there. That's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. This was the kind of show that was made for Toonami. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 If this if this had come out about like Five ten years earlier, this thing probably could have like become the biggest thing in the country for a year just by being on Toonami. Like, yeah. Mm. Like, e actually, think about it. Even the OST of Megalobox sounds a lot like you would hear these things in between shows on Toonami during the bumps. Oh, it is a hundred percent that Throwing Stones record label lo-fi hip hop feel. Mm. It, is, like, it is that sound. It is the kind of thing that if somebody had told me, albeit incorrectly that Jason DeMarco curated the, the score of the show, I would believe them. Hmm. Which technically he did not, but yeah, I could believe it. But he is curating... Uh, I would, I 100% believe he had a part in picking out who the uh, composer of the new uh, Uzumaki anime is, because that seems very specific. Yeah. that That is a niche that he very clearly knew where to scratch. But I'm getting off topic on that. I'm on. Please continue. Um, no, this this is just a really well produced dub. Like I have I have no complaints about it. It is just that's 100 percent across the board. This is great. Um, my my the only thing I'm sad about is that uh, this will not get a sequel, and it should not. It ends perfectly. Uh, but that means we'll never get to hear this particular cast and crew work on something quite like this again, probably, which is a little sad, but hey, if you're hey, you know, who can be perfection, right? Touche. Like, watching this again, there's, like, maybe one sequel hook in a, hey, look, Megalodia 2's happening, but then it's just like, ah, who cares? It's not really the point. But yeah, I don't want another one of this. This ends perfectly. Well, I know we're not spoiling the ending, but... Okay, we're not spoiling the results, that's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, well, the, the fact that, like, the ending the way it is, I doubt we're gonna get a sequel, because a lot of the sequel of Ashita no Joe had to do with the ending of the first mm. <laughs> series, so... Yeah, I've read that. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, alright, so Root, tell me your thoughts. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with Amon on a lot of points that he made. This is... This was a very high-quality dub. I... You know, Bang Zoom is known for a lot of really great... Kind of, uh, really great dubs for sort of the high-caliber shows picked up by basically anybody besides Funimation and... This is... Wow. The the dialogue is quick, it's snappy, and it's, pardon the pun, punchy. 
clap, clap, clap. And I can't think of an improperly cast character in the entire show. Like, everybody sounds pitch perfect for what they needed to do over the course of the show. It's, it's just all around great. And, like, one detail, Amon kind of already mentioned it, but one very key detail that is kind of small in the overall context of the show, but it just really adds to the world building is the actor that got to play Pepe Iglesias, the, was it the, the third? Or the, the spider. Was it the third or fourth ranked fighter? Uh, I believe second rank. Okay. Second rank. Because he, he was up against the number one in his match. So he's probably the number two. Okay. Uh, Pepe Iglesias, the number two ranked megaloboxer in the world. You Actually, need to mention his title is The Spider. The Spider. But God, that's such a cool name. It's a character we're unfortunately not really going to be talking about in depth tonight. But the one thing I really appreciate is they actually got an actor able to speak Spanish. Good Spanish too. Which is also, like I would hope. I would hope so. I mean, yes, <laughs> you would hope. Fair enough. But you'd be surprised at how many dubs haven't done the best when it comes to foreign language actors. And no, no, I, 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 I entirely believe that. I just, I would hope Alejandro still speaks Spanish pretty well. You know. Oh yes, the the actor is no stranger to uh, our dub talk show, Alejandro Saab. Oh really? Oh, really? I didn't know yeah. that was him. Yes, that was Alejandro Saab. Yeah, I went entirely off the Blu-ray, so I didn't even get to see like a dub cast come. So that's no, I I heard I heard the voice, and I'm like, okay, that's Alejandro. Of course it was Alejandro Saab. Of course it was Kangi. Jeez. (laughs) Yes, there was there was definitely a period where uh, before he actually moved out to California, he was popping up in a lot of Bang Zoom dubs at the time. I think going back and forth. So. It was a matter of time, I figured, before he moved in, and now he's in Cali. I can't wait to see how that's going for him in a little while. We'll probably cover it down the road. But, yeah. Yeah. The point I was trying to get at is this dub is really great at capturing the very finite details of the world building that was presented over the course of these 13 episodes. And, like Amon was saying, I... I really hope that this this crew doesn't end up doing a sequel. Because I, I don't want a sequel. It Megalobox ended so perfectly. Mm. Like, I yeah. don't even I don't even think the Megalobox 2 thing was really that much of a sequel hook. It's you think it was like a red herring? Maybe. Okay. It, it, it felt it felt just more like it was a statement of like, and the world kept going. Yeah. Okay. Not, yeah, not necessarily that we're gonna see any of it, but like life continued. I I genuinely bring that up because I literally, it was the least important thing about this finale because I genuinely forgot about it. I remember so much else vividly about the final act of the show, but that part was just like, oh, was that actually a thing happening? Okay. Yeah, like the entire final episode felt like um, the final episode of, of Adventure Time, where it's just basically. Showing that this world is continuing to turn, even as the final credits roll. 
Except they're bringing back Adventure Time. (laughs) Okay, you beat me to my joke, but okay, yeah, you're right. Uh, yes. Okay, cool. But yeah, absolutely solid dub. From the directing, the script writing, and the casting standpoints, very solid, very hearty thumbs up. Mm Mm-hmm. Lack, give us your thoughts. Okay, uh, I like this dub. I don't think I liked it as much as, uh, you guys. I think it was a good, solid dub. Personally, I felt some of the performances were a little stiff here and there, but um, after a while, it, it everything started to click. Everything started to really come together nicely. I think everyone was cast perfectly fine. Um, I, I have no complaints about who was cast and what. Uh, it's just, personally, I just felt some of the performances could be a little stiff in some areas, but honestly, I, I think it was, a, it was a good dub. I don't think I liked it as much as you guys, but I think it was a good, solid dub, and I really, um, and I, I really like how grounded and just raw everybody felt in the in the dub. So I, I did like that a lot. So don't really have much else to add. So <laughs> okie dokie. So going through, uh, I had seen. I, I realized what we were talking about our histories with Megalo Box. I have no experience with Ashita no Joe or a lot of boxing anime. I had seen the subtitled version of Megalobox prior to the announcement of it getting dubbed, which, by the way, it actually got dubbed relatively quickly from release to uh, premiere of the dub as far as, like, Bang Zoom and Viz projects are concerned. That show premiered in April of 2018. The dub premiered in December, like, about a six-month turnaround. That's pretty, pretty impressive as far as, like, Bang Zoom projects are concerned. But, yeah, I will say this. This is a show that a lot of passion and effort was put into it. And I wanted that same level of passion, heart, and effort to go into it for the dub. Do I feel that effort was put in? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, they put in the time, the heart, the energy, the soul, the spirit, anything. This is a really strong, like, core ensemble cast. There's a couple of, like, other characters we're not going to mention, like the trio of orphans and uh, Aragaki's uh, trainer in the, uh, the disabled veterans gym, but there's a lot of there's a lot of voices in this show. Not a lot of, like, named characters, but there's a lot of people in the crowd of this gritty world, of this world of the arena, of society. And all of it sounds real and grimy and kind of, like, hype and energetic. You feel every voice in the crowd is giving actual reactions I could see somebody doing in a sports match even if it's in the future it's totally like there's always gonna be asshole barkers in the ring being like get up kick his ass champ fuck him up something like that it's like there's always gonna be people like that but and I feel they do a good job making that convincing you've got a lot of the audio sounds really well done some of the equipment's really interesting they do some cool effects when uh uh Nanbu's talking into the mic in his ear and it just, the quality of everything going on around it, the sound design, this world feels alive, this dub makes it feel realistic and alive. Also, any, any show that can make rap happen in English, 
I feel going the extra mile and actually dubbing the rap, Sachio's rap, I genuinely did not think they were going to do it. I'm, I'm so happy they did. Yeah, I didn't think they were going to either. I was like, holy shit, they're actually doing this. This is awesome. Because they did it in Devil May Cry Baby, so... Okay, no, okay. They didn't do most of it in Devil Man. The one part they did was the one that had no like verse. It had no. Oh beat in yeah, the yeah, yeah. The, the yeah when he's rapping. And it was rapping very to specifically tied to Keith Silverstein's character. Right. Who who is also in this dub as one of the main Megalobox announcers? Uh, but yeah, the core cast of this is stunning. Like, there's a lot of people in this dub who are now like. Five or so years ago, most of them might have been, like, new faces, but at this point, they are very seasoned veterans. With one or two relative fresh faces among them that... We'll get to them in particular, but I feel the dub cast for this was stupendous and well put together, and people were really giving... 100% for it. This dub, there's a lot of care to it. The core cast, the sound design, the cast, the crew, the the script adaptation, because the script is already really good, but they did a very great job translating it in English. David Mike did a really good job adding a lot of good notes to these characters, making it sound a little more grungy and grimy with a bit of swearing and a bit of uh, tact and bite added to certain lines, but... Oh man, this is this is a really strong product, and I think I think the people that were in the corner of this dub were giving it their all. Which good on you, Bang Zoom. Good on you. Good on you, Ezra. Good on you, Viz, for giving the show a strong push in America and in the convention circuit. I'm going to Anime NYC soon, and there's a lot of good stuff. There's a panel related to Megalobox exclusively still. They actually got the director and producer going to that. I'm very intrigued about that. But yeah, no. A lot of effort went into this one, and I'm very, very happy with the results. Speaking of results, let's talk about a man who wants results, otherwise you're getting turned into fucking soup. As well as a guy who lost it all and fought his way back to make amends. Let's talk about our next two characters. Very different people, but very, very important antagonists for our series. Starting off, we have Tatsumaki Leonald Aragaki. That is his full name, by the way. As well as Mr. Fujimaki. Aragaki is a former protege of Gansaku Nanbu. Uh, he worked at, he was a regular at his gym before getting shipped off to a war, getting confirmed as killed in action before it turned out he did survive, but was horribly wounded in a bombing and is now basically fighting Megalo boxing without any legs. He has prosthetic legs and a giant scar. He also has a big grudge against Nanbu for effectively abandoning him and going off for somebody else. As far as Fujimaki, Fujimaki is a man that just screams, Do not fuck with this guy. The first time this man is introduced, Nanbu is shitting his pants as this man is cooking some soup 
while a man is being tortured in the back room, and he's just like, Mmm. Oh, that's some good broth. Nanbu, try this stuff. Tell me what you think. Where's my fucking money? <laughs> so yes, uh, he is basically the head of the criminal underworld. He is a guy you do not want to cross, and if you want something, it gets done. Or else. You have to give him something of equal value in return. So, playing these two characters, uh, playing the role of Aragaki is Greg Chun, and playing Fujimaki is one Taylor Henry. Greg Chun has played such characters as James Blood in Hero Mask, Ikalgo in Hunter x Hunter 2011, Garo in One Punch Man Season 2, and Enduel in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders. Taylor Henry has played such characters as Lord Genome in Gurren Lagann, Yukichi Fukuzawa from Bungo Stray Dogs, Nadi Yukinojo Kaspa from Gundam Ironblood Orphans, and the Jelly Jiggler from Bobobo Bobobo. <laughs> a completely, completely different character and performance to Fuchimaki. Like, Jelly, Jelly Jiggler would get cooked by this guy. Are, are That's what you we're sure about that? You know what? Fair enough. Jelly Jiggler would probably put up the biggest fight of his life. Let's see these two fight. Okay, this is a weird tangent. Ahmad, please. Give me your thoughts on Aragaki and Fujimaki. These are, these are good performances. Uh, let me see. Um, you said who's performing them, right? Uh, Greg Chun and Taylor Henry, yes. Hey, thank you. Um... Where to start? I like Aragaki a lot. Um, he's an interesting character because he's got this, you know, he's got kind of a chip on his shoulder because he went through hell and he comes back and the guy who's supposed to like, hey, I'm going to stick with you, just sort of fucked off because Nanbu's kind of trash really when you get down to it. <laughs> Nanbu starts a, this series as the person. big... He starts this series as like the biggest piece of shit. Like, he gets punched in the face by Joe in episode one, and you're like, yeah, fuck you, old man. And then by the end, it's like, I would die for you. I don't know about that, but okay. Okay, um. fair enough. <laughs> you know what? Fair enough, fair enough. I would... Let's 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 meet up halfway and set out and say I'll maim myself for you. How about that? Um. I'll, I'll give myself a good, good lashing or two. Anywho, um... I think Aragaki's an interesting character, and I think Greg Chun did uh, did really well in this role. Um, this is fun because I just got finished a while ago playing Judgment, where he plays the main character, um, and uh, the main character in Judgment is not a lot like uh, Aragaki for many many reasons. Um, but he's good in both of them, and I think that's a that's a testament to his range. I think he is good at playing this character who isn't a, like he's not very loud, but he has a lot going on. I think he does a good job of sort of projecting that. His, like, frustration, his bitterness, um, just kind of the ways that, like, he has had to fight so hard even to get to where he is and how much that's taken out of him. Um, yeah, just, I, I thought, like, uh, I thought Greg just, but he just brought that to the character really well. He felt very, it felt very natural. Like, it, it, it's very much one of these performances where I'm not really, I never really think about it as a performance. It just feels like, oh, this is what the character is doing. Like, there's no real separation between uh, the dub and the action on screen. Which I think is, you know, I think is not always easy to achieve. So I think kudos to him for that. Um, and uh, 
And uh, Taylor Henry is Fujimaki. Oh, that's a that's a good gangster ship right there. He's he's just he's just it's 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 not it, I mean the performance is good, but on some level it's just the voice. It's just the correct like really deep rumble. It isn't necessarily sinister. But you can read it as sinister. And that's almost worse cuz maybe he's going to let you off the hook. Maybe he's going to dangle hope in front of you. Maybe. He feels like what the, he feels like what a real characterization of Satan would be, because he wouldn't just he he wouldn't just show up being like, ah, oh, I'm gonna torture you. He would he would give you the sweet talk. He would give you the business. He would be unassuming, but always showing a true aura of power. Being like, you don't want to cross me, or else things are gonna get bad for you. He is a man of wealth and taste. That is true. Oh yes. Um. But yeah, uh, Taylor's just, he's just really good at that. He's so good at being sort of, you know, suave and cool and always clearly being, like, the guy who knows that he has, like, he is the one in charge in this situation. And no matter where you think you stand, like, you don't get to decide that. Fujimaki gets to decide that. And if you have a problem with that, too bad. Um, mm -hmm. he, just, he just projects such wonderful presence into this character. Um, he's, he's, he's very much the kind of villain who's always really entertaining to watch even if like you don't really like him because he's you know a terrible mob boss um but he's always fun to see on screen in his nice suits and so on he's um, got very nice suits yeah. yeah he's got a he's got an image to protect he's got a he's got a he gets he has to let the people know who's the boss and it's him he's a man of good wealth and taste he's he's definitely a good cook i feel like you missed my reference but whatever I did. Oh, 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 no! I know you're. I know you're referencing uh, sympathy for the devil. I, I know things. I can never be sure with you, Andrew. <laughs> Look, I know. I know sympathy for the devil. That's a very good song, and all I right. can. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll stop busting I, your chops. Green is good. Gordon Gecko. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. All righty. Um, yeah, no. These these are great performances. I liked them both a lot. Excellent. Roots. Alright, so I'm gonna start with uh, Taylor Henry as Fujimaki. I I think that Taylor Henry does a really great job of um, conveying that sort of gentle intimidation factor that I think really great actors who have played mob bosses are able to convey. Sort of the um, um, what's his name? Um uh Godfather. Marlon Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando? Brando? <laughs> like you don't really get to see a lot of that in in Marlon Brando in The Godfather, but yeah. Weird, I mean, weird you tangent. see De Niro as well. Yeah, I guess De Niro as well is a bit more of a better example cuz he actually like you get to see more of him being sort of the the fist, as opposed to the silver tongue. Hmm. But, um, yeah, the character of Fujimaki has to sort of be both of those. So, I, I think Taylor Henry did a really great job of just sort of being the, you know, you could throw the match if you want, but, I mean, the alternative is you, you're gonna end up in the soup pot if you don't. 
So, you know, maybe throw the match if you want to live. I know you want Anyways, to. don't assume anything, but here's a lobster and here's some boiling water. Um, would you like some lobster tonight? You'll be served with it. Oh, something like that. You know what? That actually reminds me of one of my one of my favorite line reads of his over the course of really? the show, where it's basically the um, he's in the in the executive box for the um, for the semifinal match of Megalobox as um, as Joe is about to start the match, and he's he's talking, and he's just like, yeah. This is a really great fish. You, um... And he starts talking about the broth. And then you think back to the intimidation of the first and second episodes. And you're like... Fuck. Like, oh shit. Did he cook that fish in a broth made from a guy? Oh, I was too busy focusing on the eye symbolism. I never even thought of that. Which, by the way, holy shit, the fucking fish eye. Yeah. Like, not gonna tell you guys the symbolism of that one. You're gonna find that out for yourself once you put on the show. Or when we get to the character in question. <clears throat> Anyways, But continue. yeah, that... Taylor Henry did a really great job, and... There is a there's a reason that I wanted to save Aragaki for last. Which by the way, if you didn't figure it out earlier when I was talking about where I stopped in terms of the subs, it was the Aragaki arc, not Fujimaki. I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, They're very similar sounding names. Anyway. Um one of the things Greg Chun really had to get across with this character was sort of the the PTSD of... Oh my god, yeah. Being in a war zone and flipping up a corpse to find a bomb underneath it that goes off. Like, that scene in episode, I want to say, six? I think it was five. five. Okay, episode five. Where it's, it's the very beginning of the episode just before the credits and it's a flashback to his time in the war. Where he's he's searching a building for hostiles. He comes across a mother holding a child. And he's just like, oh my god. He flips a mother over to see if she's... Or... Mother's obviously dead, but he's flipping flipping her over... To see if the baby's alive. The baby's fine. And it's an IUD. That the baby's packing heat. That explodes as he's flipping over the body and takes his legs. Oh god, and the other thing. The other Are scene. Are you talking about the fucking motel? The motel scene. Jesus Christ, when I was first watching that scene in like the simulcast. Holy fuck, man. Like... Greg Chune had to basically play a man at the end. Like... On the edge. Ready to jump, basically. More or less, yeah. Like, he had to scream, he had to cry, he had to... Just make these guttural noises that... 
it haunts me. Even going... Because I, I watched the first couple of episodes when we were initially planning this... This recording. And then I went back to it in order to refresh for, for tonight. Mm -hmm. And God, the motel scene. Uh... But yeah, so needless to say, both of these were really great solid performances. Thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Alright, Lack. What'd you think of tonight's uh fine soup? <laughs> uh it was good. Um yeah, the, the what really stood out to me between these two was um definitely uh Aragaki scenes where he's sort of dealing with like, the hopelessness, and he's dealing with his own anxieties, and, like, the fact that he's on the verge of suicide. <laughs> I mean, th that's definitely moments when the dubs shine through. Um, as far as, uh, Fujimaki was concerned, perfectly good performance. Uh, Fujimaki wasn't really in the show all that much, aside from coming in every once in a while, so... Uh, as far as Taylor Henry's um, performance was, it was... It was strong. I mean, he's he's good at those kind of roles. That's why he gets cast in them. <laughs> and, um... Yeah, he definitely had charisma that you could believe that he's the kind of guy who's been wheeling and dealing for a very long time and he knows exactly how to do it. And, and that's... Definitely two really good performances. Um, no complaints. So... Excellent. Alrighty, I will start with uh, Fujimaki, because Fujimaki is intimidating as shit, scary as hell, and I would... It's like, it's scary, it's frightening, you don't want to cross this guy, but it's strangely sensual the way he talks about the story of the scorpion and the frog. Like, mm. there is that... There is that area air of like it's suave as shit, but just intimidating as all hell. It's everything with him is just so delightfully laid back because he doesn't even have to try. He gets what he wants, and if he doesn't get what he wants, he better as well get something back in return. It's not a matter of if, it's he will. And he knows that. And that's the thing about Taylor's performance is that he air he plays him with this level of suave, like, I own what I want and I get what I want. And there's just this level of menace, suave sensualness, and just pure, like, fear to him too. And it's just so good. And every time he talks to Nanbu, who... Nanbu is a hard-ass through the show, by the way. He is strong-willed. He is, like, basically wild, strong, tough-headed. He becomes a whimpering pup in front of Fujimaki, practically begging and can't fight it, because what's the point of fighting it? You're not gonna win against the top fucking dog. And that's Fujimaki, and he knows it. That's why it's so exciting when pops Nanbu straight up fights back against him and when he does fight back against him it's so fucking good but even Aragaki's like 
No, uh, no ordinary man could do that. You turned a fraud into the real deal. It's just... Ah, oh, you got lucky, you cheap bastard. It's like, oh, he's so good. Taylor did a solid job. And... Let's talk about Greg Chun as Aragaki, because Aragaki is genuinely one of the most surprising, shocking, yet moving arcs in the show and it's not even like the main one it's technically a side destination as far as goals of the main narrative in megalobox are concerned this is a side story that goes into veterans of war being ch being taken in chewed out and abandoned because they go into the fact of the veteran of the veteran veterans uh gym where a lot of the graves in the backyard, they say, they aren't even, like, people who died in the war. They're soldiers who came back and took their own lives because there was nothing home waiting for them. And that's fucked and real at the same time. That The show actually tackles that in a very genuine way. And Aragaki is the product of somebody who is both, like, haunted by his past looking for a place to belong and looking to finally get the closure and healing he wants because he's so he was so trusting of nanbu he was so torn apart when he got back and his gym was closed you see him with no legs breaking into the gym that was closed you see the dynamic between him and pops so much and greg gives him this level of like casual strength but also this level of like cool trying not to let him bother him but you could tell he's clearly in pain i love that scene like when he first shows his true colors where he's just casually meeting up with nambu and it's this sweet wonderful scene and they're talking about fighting joe i took him on it's like yeah i decided to ruin him and you just watch the scene totally be like oh he, this isn't a friendly match. This isn't a favor. He's gonna kill him. And th you hear that anger, that fear, that sh power behind it. And the scene in the motel when he's screaming in anguish and fear and ready to take his own life at the end. And it's so heartbreaking. And Greg is very convincing. He's very convincing. And that is a scary, triggering scene. And... Oh, and then the closure to his arc when it's basically like, yeah, this is my closure to retire. And him and Pops finally opening up, just laying it out. And he's just like there. And he just, he's talking with Nambu. He's like, this should be far enough. Shouldn't it, coach? And there's just that level of like acceptance, but sadness to the journey finally ending. And just, oh, fuck, Greg. Like, Greg is a talented actor, but even I'm still surprised that greg was able to pull this off and the scene in the motel is genuinely one of the hardest realist things in this entire series and it's executed with tact and maturity and realistically they did a good job with a pretty hard subject matter and i'm very impressed with how they handled it good job to taylor and to greg Chun. now Going from the slums, let's now go to the other underbelly of society. Greedy corporations and the sibling rivalries that fuel it. We're talking about 
the Shirato siblings, specifically Mikio Shirato and Yukiko Oshirato. Mikio Shirato is somebody who was maybe going to run the Shirato company, but their grandfather decided that Yukiko was better for the job. So he's been developing a super artificial intelligence megaloboxing gear to try and fight his battles and is willing to try and take down Yukiko and beat her at her own game. Yukiko is basically the head of the Megalonia Association. Uh, she is part the head of Team Shirato, which Yuri is very much her top dog. And she ends the series kind of losing her top dog, who ends up going for a stray dog instead. So... There's a lot of sibling rivalry between these two, but who could possibly play these two characters? These two rival siblings who would basically just cut each other with a knife. Playing the role of Mikio Shirato is one Robbie Damon, and Yukiko Shirato is Erika Harlicker. Robbie Damon has played such characters as Crollo Lucifer in Hunter Hunter 2011, Galio Baduin, Galio Baduin from Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans, Moomin Rider from One Punch Man, and Gil Thunder from The Seven Deadly Sins. Yukiko, oh sorry, Erica has played such characters as Krush Karsten from Re Zero, Emmy Igawa from Your Lie in April. Ruler, a.k.a. Jean d'Arc from Fate Apocrypha, and Kurapita Kurka from... Sorry, I said that wrong. Kurapika Kurta from Hunter x Hunter 2011. Aman, what did you think of these two? You could not pay me to be related to any of these people. Jesus Christ. Oh, God! <laughs> Thanksgiving must be awful with these. Um, but the actors playing them are very good. Um... Let's see. Uh, let's start with Erica. Who I think I, I enjoy her performance as Yukiko a lot. Um, obviously, I think like Yukiko's kind of standard mode is very much like icy, stern businesswoman. Like very, 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 very much. You know, she she is cold. She is calculating. She knows what's going on. There's there, there, there's it's not addressed really, but there's always that undercurrent of she probably had to behave a certain way to get where she is, given that. As far as we can tell, in this dystopic future, um, the world's still pretty... I mean, look at this cast, is already pretty male-dominated. I'm assuming the business world is probably as well. Um, and I think Erica does a good job of presenting that sort of, like, I, you know, I have had to fight to get where I am. Like, yes, I inherited this company, but I did not get to... You know, I didn't, I didn't rest on my laurels to stay where I am. I had to work for it. Um... But also, I like I like the fact that like she is not just that one note. Like there is a lot more complexity to his character. I think you see that both in her relationship with Mikiko, uh, who she has issues with, uh, and putting Yuri, it lightly, and Yuri, who she has. It's complicated, <laughs> let's say. Um, uh, and you know, when when she's acting off of Robbie as Mikiko, I think um, you get like you get a sense of like the that special kind of bitterness that you can only really get with family. <laughs> uh, look, speaking of someone who has issues with members of their own family, like, I get it. I understand. This makes sense. Everybody's got issues with their family, but the richer you are, it feels like the more... 
strained some of your relationships get. These people are pretty goddamn wealthy. It's true. Which is why you get things where it's like, I'm mad because dad passed over me. Well, dad passed over you because you're a chumpy pretty boy. Deal with it. <laughs> um, it's not wrong uh, but, either. No. It's not. Uh, but there, there's like, there's like, there's like that, 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 that they, they, both of them, I think, actually do a good job of selling that kind of like like strained anger between them of like they they can be kind of polite in public and on some level they don't they don't completely despise each other because they are you know they're 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 siblings like there is a relationship underneath all that um but also one that has just a lot of baggage and, and garbage on it that is maybe never going to go away um and i think that they both sell on that very well um and i also liked a lot of erica's performances with uh, yuri's actor because it's very clear that she puts a lot of trust in Yuri. And is probably in love with Yuri. I'm not sure Yuri cares. I'm not sure Yuri cares about anybody who's not another human being can get into a fight with, frankly. But there we are. No, uh, no, no, no. Okay. You're, you're, you're summarizing Yuri as some sort of fighting slut who would fight anybody if given the chance. No, no. You'll, fi you'll fight somebody he respects if he's given the chance to it. Look, he he will step into the ring with somebody, but it's not really gonna leave an impact. It'll be it'll be five minutes. He'll get he'll get off on it, and then he'll go about his day. No, he's waiting for that special somebody, somebody to really rock Andrew, his world. Andrew, Andrew, save it for the right section. We're talking about Yukiko right now. <laughs> Look, <laughs> an, hour, an hour an hour boyfriend isn't really that interested. Look, in her. anyways, the the point I'm trying to make is uh, Yukiko's relationship with. Uh, Yuri is basically the one meme of the boyfriend with the girlfriend who the boyfriend's looking at another woman. And the other woman in this scenario is Joe. Just gonna let that hang there for a little bit. Let the audience really <laughs> absorb it. I should, I should Look, know, I'm right! I should, I should know, you haven't made any, but I was authorized by Steph to kick your ass if you start pulling out the bad puns, so... Ah, that wasn't even a bad no, pun. No, I'm behaving... It was. It wasn't. I'm just. I'm just letting you know. Just let me know. <laughs> I. I'm aware. Andrew, I'm aware. Andrew, <laughs> the soup pot's over here. Fuck. Okay. Anywho, um, um like I, I, I think I like Erica's performance of that, where there is this uh, tenderness that she doesn't really get to exhibit with um, a lot of the other characters, and then sort of her frustration with the fact that you know. Like, Yuri doesn't not respond to it, but he's not responding in quite the way that I think Yukiko would prefer if she had her druthers. Uh, since I don't feel like there's a lot of other characters she's that interested in being emotionally close to. She wants to be equals, but the reality is he is her trained dog. You're not wrong. This is literally conveyed through the fact that Yuri has a dog? And, like, when... For the first time, Yuri goes off and does something on his own, and she's chastising Yuri for doing that. The dog that's running around in the background sits. Like, is literally sitting when Yukiko's chastising Yuri. Which is another one of the great little visual symbolism flourishes that the show does. I thought you were just going to point to the fact that in the opening, both Yuri and Joe are literally represented as dogs. Oh, no, I wasn't even thinking <laughs> that. There, there's a lot of good dog symbolism. And as a big, profound fan of the pupper, this show does well by that. It's true. 
Um, well, we'll have more you know, to say about that the section after next, so let's let on oh, yeah. finish. Uh, you know, Erica, I think, is very, very good as Yukiko, and I think Raymond, uh, Raymond is just, sorry, Raymond, Robbie. Uh, Robbie is just as good as Mikiko. Um, he is good at projecting that kind of. Mm, he's so he's so smug and handsome and rich, or he was rich. It's a little unclear to me if he still has access to his family's wealth at this point. Um, but he's so punchable. Oh God, you said it, but I was waiting for somebody else to say he's it. So he's so punchable, and and you know what? And you know what? Robbie is good at this because he plays Goro Kechi in Persona Five. And, oh um, yes, if you're, God, yeah. And if and if you are one of the people out there who's really hoping that in the Royale Goro gets a redemption art, I say fuck you. No, <laughs> terrible human <laughs> deserves nothing. Awful man. He's a. <laughs> Look, do I okay. feel bad for him? Yes. Does that does that war does that make anything better? Absolutely not. I mean, uh, but he's everybody's favorite trash baby. It's true. Um, I'd I'd feed him pancakes. Move, uh, anyways, continue. As someone who played a hundred or so hours of Persona Five, I know Robbie Damon can play shitty little pretty boys really, really well, and he does that again here. Um, Mikiko is so good at being just the that obnoxious. He, he really he should be wearing like uh, he should be wearing like uh, a nice button up shirt with a sweater, and then another sweater like slung over his shoulders, tied around it, just really up the Cape Cod preppiness of the whole thing. It would it would just suit him so very well. He feels like he would own a yacht and would be talking about how big his dad's wallet is. He, he feels like his last name should be Kennedy, is what he feels like. Oh! <laughs> Am I Zing! wrong? Am I wrong? No. no. I'm scared about how right you are about that. <laughs> um, and Robbie's really good at playing him. Um, like I, he's like he's good at nailing that tone, obviously. But I also like that he can really get into, especially towards the end of his arc fighting against Joe. You can you can just you can feel the desperation in there, which is never. It's never, it's not like brought right up to the surface. It's never like the focus of it, but it's always just hanging around there as he's trying to figure out like, you know, I need to beat this guy. I need to show that my technology works better. I need to do it. And then it just, it doesn't quite work out, does it? Does it, you little rich bastard? <laughs> um, and he, he's just, he's really good at it. I think, I think there's a lot of good mastery of just kind of like tone and knowing just kind of the right, the right level of emotion to show off. Um, yeah, these are both these are both excellent performances, um, and I like them a lot. So thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, roots. Yeah. So, I mean, the big dynamic of these two characters put together is basically this big sibling rivalry that just drags a bunch of people kicking and screaming into it. Because I mean, you got. You got Joe, you've got Yuri, you've got whatever nation this is military dragged into this. And like the whole thing of Megalobox, the whole concept itself being dragged into this rivalry. Like it's great. I I really love when stories about conniving rich siblings are done well. Uh, but starting with Robbie Damon as, um, as Mikio. Ah, uh, God, he plays the smug rich boy really well. Just, 
mm. and it's it's great because he's also sort of he gives off that air of like a silicon valley tech boy oh fuck okay where he just has all these ideas none of them are really all that great but he thinks they're the best thing in the world and he's willing to just absolutely ruin people who don't agree with him Mikio is totally the guy who pitched Google Stadia. <laughs> no, no, he's more the guy who tried, who accidentally invented buses again. <laughs> what? Oh, if you know, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a, there's a tweet thread that goes around periodically where some tech bro is impining about how uh, they should, they should take Uber, but they should change it into one where Uber has specific stops and you can get on and pay. And so it's like, you invented buses, you idiot. That's the bus. <laughs> You know that thing you don't use because poor people are on it? That's what that is. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm living for this Mikio Shirato call-out post. Holy fuck. Like, it's... His his entire character arc is basically the... You just invented a bus, dumbass. And that picture of a cat in a sweater reading a newspaper with the words underneath... I should buy a boat. <laughs> Uh, but, just, but instead he instead he bought a cabin and he actually kind of mellows out. But it's, it's it's great, especially in his fight with with Joe, where he's just he's losing his shit constantly. He's berating his tech crew. Like obviously this is not behavior I would condone in any sort of sporting event, but in the course of fiction. And considering we're talking about an acting performance here, it's really great. And he's mm -hmm. just... It's its one of the performances that actually gets the ability to choose scenery, and it's its wonderful. And, um, and Yukiko, on, on the other hand, she's... She's smart, she's capable... But I feel like there's also this air of immaturity to her. That she's just not entirely capable of forming relationships with other human beings. Like, she thinks she can, but it's it's not quite there. If, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. There, there's just this... A superiority complex that is present and Erica Harlacker does this all brilliantly like she can be charismatic up on the stage introducing this new concept megalomania and everybody in the world can come and participate as long as you have gear which Technically, the the rules don't actually specify you need gear, but it's all a thing to promote her new gear that she wants to advertise to the military to aid soldiers. When you think about it, it's basically just promotion. It's, you're trying to push a certain thing for SummerSlam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. You, you are now imagining the Sharatos as the McMahon family, and 
I am sorry for this image. Why? That's correct. That's God. right. I, I follow enough people on Twitter who watch wrestling. No, that's correct. <laughs> I'm... The only difference I'm is trying... the shitty dad is dead in this universe. That's it. I'm trying to find a point to prove you wrong, and I can't, and it's making me mad. <laughs> Roots, you are now- you are angry at how correct that statement is. <laughs> but yeah, um, like, I love how just sort of cold and impersonal she plays, um, Yukiko in sort of the private moments between other characters, um... One of the things that really stands out is um, her conversation with Nanbu toward the end of the series uh, when he's trying to convince her to let Joe rematch Mikiko after he sort of plays him and Joe like a fiddle. Which, by the way, gosh, that ending is so fucking good. That's where the first disc ends, by the way, is the gate closing. And God, that's such a good ending. What yeah. the fuck? The show's so good, even the disc timing is good. But it's it's just wonderful. And, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find additional words to add to this, but, you know, it, it's really just... These two play very terrible people very well. So, thumbs up. Alrighty. Lack. Um, well, one of the things that stood out for me was, uh, was that, uh, Yukiko, for one thing, I had never really heard Erica Harlocker sound like that before. Like, even in something like, um, uh, Violet Evergarden, she had never really, like, had a voice like that before. So a couple times I was actually, like, really surprised that I was hearing Erica Harlocker. Uh, Robbie Damon, not so much. I could pretty much tell that it was him. It was kind of the same voice he did in Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, but it's a role he's extremely good at. He's very good at playing smug pretty boys. So it was definitely good casting on both, uh, on both parts. Um, nothing really stood out for me, necessarily, um, but at the same time, I thought they were perfectly fine casting. Uh, it was kind of nice to hear Erica Harlocker play a character she's not usually playing, and um, it was cool to see Robbie Damon playing a character who's kind of a villain, but not really a villain. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. So. Alrighty. Uh, I'll start with uh, Yukiko, because... I will admit, you in my mind of like the core cast, I think Yukiko personally isn't as interesting as some of the other ones, but I do think her struggle of trying to effectively be like strong... Actually, kind of talking about her more has given me a little more perspective on her, just because it's like, I never considered that it's basically like she has worked hard tooth and nail to prove herself as being mature and strong, but she is still kind of immature in the way she approaches certain things and the way she handles, like, human relationships. It's actually kind of given me a new perspective of, like, the actual character of Yukiko. As for Erika, I think she does this really good, stern, authoritative role where she has a lot of power and strength in her tone of voice. She has some moments of vulnerability, like, when she's interacting with uh, Sachio, but most of the time she's pretty strict to business and is willing to do what needs to be done to put on a show, to get sponsorships, to sell. 
But also, she is willing to show her true colors a little when she's ready to fuck her brother over when Joe storms in for the announcement of the final uh, Megalonia champion. Where it's literally just like, ah, oh, she snaps it in half. Let's fight for it. It's like, I hope you do well, brother. And he's just like, oh, I'm going to kill you. But also, the fact that she has this very strange relationship with uh, Yuri, and, and it's like, at the end, she totally whispers, I love you. She was in love with Yuri. Mm, but yeah. he was never going to love her as anything other than a master and not as an equal. Simple as that. But, yeah, I think Erica's got this very good, stern, strong, like, tone. I've seen her do it actually kind of similar to characters like Kurapitika and Jean d'Arc, interestingly enough. Actually, I think Krush as well, but I haven't seen too much of ReZero essay. But she's done this authoritative role before, and it's actually very interesting because I associate Harlecker more for... Like, very cutesy, bubbly, sassy girls. So it's very interesting to see that she is very capable of doing this strong, sturdy, powerful, authoritative figure. And she does it great with Yukiko. Oh god, Robbie David is so fucking good at making me want to punch the shit out of Mikio. Oh god, he is the most punchable face in the world. Oh Every time I see him on screen, like, in the first t half of the show he's in, it's like, gosh, why aren't you getting kicked in the dick right now? Why? Why aren't you kneeling over in pain? You deserve it. Oh, God, he's he's so... Oh. Anyways, Robbie Damon's really good. Uh, let's see. Actual notes I have for Mikio. He makes himself, like, such a smug sack of shit, and it's so perfect. He sounds so very snide and conniving with an every ulterior motive at his beck and call. He's angry and bitter and volatile until he gets his ass beat. And then he actually gets his ass beat and surprisingly gets very humble. Like, he gets very calm. He gets a new, he gets a new hairstyle. And he gets very mellow and Robbie also makes a good point of making him sound much calmer smarter and like he's had his more instead of like let's put it like this Mikio was a full-on like caffeine addict that was going with like 10 cups a day uh cabin Mikio is basically he's he's taken to meditation and earl gray tea he's got a much more mellow cool he is one with nature. And dogs finally like him now. Because speaking of dog symbolism, uh, Yuri's dog fucking hated Mikio when he was a sack of shit. Like, basically growling Violet, I want nothing to do with this guy. He's got ulterior motives, he's dangerous, he's a sack of shit. And then after Mikio calms down, the dog is just kind of sniffing at him, getting more ad ad adapted to him till... He's watching the finals with him, and he's just cuddling with the dog. And that's the thing. Yuri's got him much more comfortable with other people, too. And he got him more comfortable with Mikio after he got his shit together. And that's really interesting. But God, Robbie is just so violently punchable as Mikio, this evil... As you were saying, this guy who invented buses. That's it. 
the, the, the guy who invented buses, McMahon. And Robbie Damon is such a perfect, uh, smug sack of garbage. Who gets kind of chill later. And yeah, no, Erica and Robbie, uh, fantastic job as these terrible siblings. Now let's go into my favorite team, aka the main team of this. Team Nowhere. Specifically, the support system of our fighter Joe. And that would be... Sachio, an orphan from the streets, and Gansaku Nanbu, aka Pops, who is a trainer slash underground fraud who is working to on a bluff to make his his dog the real deal. Playing the characters of Sachio and Nanbu. Sachio is played by Erica Mendez. And Gansaku Nambu is Jason Marnocha. Erica Mendez has played such characters as Aladdin from the Maki series, Puck from ReZero, Roche, Frayne, Yuga de Millennia from Fate Apocrypha, yes I still remember how to pronounce that fucking name, and Gone Did Nothing Wrong, Freesh from Hunter Hunter 2011. Jason Marnocha has played such characters as Keicho Nijimura from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Diamond is Unbreakable, Steven Martland from Hero Mask, Monster King Orochi from One Punch Man Season 2, and Headmaster Helvis from Hells. Amon, please start us off. Hmm. Now nah, these are also great. <laughs> this is a very good dub. Uh, where should we start off? We'll start off with um, Jason. As Nambu. Uh, he's great in this. Uh, there's a lot of punchable people in this dub. Uh, and Nambu, Nambu starts out really punchable, and he does get a lot better towards the end, but he has to go through some shit first. Um, but I, I really like Jason as him. He is... He's so quintessentially both, like, uh, the, like you know, the old boxing trainer... Uh, who you don't know, you know, he knows what to do. He knows how it's happening. He's been, he's been living and breathing this sport for years and years and years. You know, there's, there's a little bit of uh, Mickey from uh, Rocky in him on that level. Um, but he's also such just an underhanded bastard who clearly did something stupid and got in a debt with the mafia, and now he has to try and claw his way out. You know, I don't know, you know, I don't you know, do whatever it takes. Uh, even if it's gonna get him clocked in the face by the by the poor Ruby's conned into doing it with him, um, he's just so good. He's so well, he's so good at that part of the character. Part of it's like Nambu has a lot of range to him. Even that's kind of like the big obvious you know, points to him. Uh, and uh, Jason's just so he's so good at capturing that. There's so much there. He's good at being like sleazy and underhanded. He's good at. You know, sort of the training, you know, no, no, this is what you have to do if you're going to beat, if you're going to beat them. He's good at yelling from the sidelines when a fight's happening. He's good at trying to break things to Joe when things are going to go bad. And Nambu maybe doesn't want it to happen like that either, but he doesn't feel like he has a choice. It's this or die. Um, it's just, it's such a good performance. Like, it's the kind of thing I associate with, like, you know, watching a vaguely prestige live-action sports drama that's from, like, a, you know, like, I want you know something from a couple decades you're gonna watch, and I'm like, yeah, I bet that guy was on the short list of the Oscars that year. It was a good performance. Oh that, god, you think it. you think Nanbu's the Oscar bait character? 
for for best supporting character, yes. Best support, mm. you get you get some you get some you get some older actor who hasn't been in the limelight very recently. This is his big comeback. Everyone's like, I can't believe we forgot about him. Let's give him an Oscar. Uh, I'd see John Goodman as Nanbu. Why would you do that to me? Why would you present <laughs> me with this thing I can never have? <laughs> Fuck you, Andrew. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that would be so good. It, it would! It won't, but it would be so good. At oh, least we have fuck. Speed Racer for that general, like, John Goodman as coach performance. You know what? You know what? You, you know what? I got, you know what? I watched that movie and I got to hear J John Goodman say terrible it passes for a ninja these days. So you're right. That does make it better. Thank you, Roots. <laughs> that Thank you, thank you, Roots. Um, thank you very much. But yeah, J J Jason gives an absolutely masterful performance as Nambu. I think he does such a good job playing this, like, like uh, I think outwardly very simple appearing, but actually very complicated character, and I think he does a great job of playing those facets as they come up. Uh, also, he has the best line of the entire show, so props to that for nailing that one. Good on you. Um, yeah. Uh, and let's see, I should probably talk about Erica playing Sakio. Um, she's just a delight here. Sakio, Sakio is a, a wonderful welcome bit of, uh, just levity whenever he's on screen. Like, it is, he, he, he usually, like, when things are dire, well, sometimes they're more dire because Sakio's there and he might die. Uh, but other times it's more fun because Sachio is not nearly as worn down and jaded as the other characters in this show, and I think he's a he's a nice counterpoint to that. And Erica is great. She she is so great at playing this guy as so uh, enthusiastic and opinionated and you know angry about things. It is great. If the if I had anything close to a complaint, which I don't I don't know if it's a complaint yet because. Uh, I didn't get a chance to do this. The I thought the flow on the rap they dub seemed a little weird, but I never got around to listening to it in the Japanese. So it could just be that it just has odd flow to begin with. And I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, she's she's playing performing a song. I'm not gonna knock her for like following the vocal melody. Um, and it was still a pretty good rap song, so like I'm not gonna complain anyways. Like that's good shit. Also, I didn't know that was coming, so that was just a fun surprise. Yeah. Oh. I'm so glad you went into this blind. I'm so glad you went to this blind just because it was genuinely exciting and like filled my soul with glee to see you get into shit like really openly. Like, oh my god, this is amazing. I, I get into shit openly all the time. I still tweet about it. Or yeah, usually. You, this is true. This is true. I like seeing you tweet it publicly where it's like, okay, I need to tell people about this. Ugh. <sighs> It was a good time. She she's she's just a lot of fun as this character. Um, I I, I think his his role in the story is really important. I think Erica brought that really well, and also just it, it ties the whole set together of like this weird, weird like three person family of misfits and outcasts who are just trying to make it in this harsh, cruel world. It was good. I have a question for the Ashita no Joe crowd in here because I'm genuinely curious. Was the team in Ashita no Joe also, like, an old veteran and a little kid? Uh, yeah, but there were a couple more characters. Uh, okay, of course, but I mean, like, specifically, Joe, Joe like... Joe had, like, a girlfriend in the series and stuff. 
So. Okay, there's de there's definitely no heterosexuality in our main lead. That's all I'm gonna say there. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to know if the specific dynamic of old veteran and little kid team was a thing in Ashita Nojo. I had a hunch, but I didn't know. Hello. Hmm? Yeah. Okay, went quiet for a second. Okay, uh, I'm done. Oh, oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, no, these, sorry. These, these are both. These are excellent performances. Uh, I think I think they're part of the reason the show is so good. Nice. Roots. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna start with Erica Mendez because honestly, while I really love the performance, there's not a lot I can say that Almon already hasn't. Um. She's just really good at playing, like, the spunky little orphan. Because, um, you know, Sachio is just, uh, like, he, he also has a bit of a backstory to him that you find out toward the end of the show that really kind of unfolds in unexpected ways. And I really like that, like, she followed that around. It's it's great. Like she gets to act off of all of this, and you know she's got to be surprised that everything was found out, and because her her two partners are like the older jaded guys, and yeah, like that like the whole story arc with. Um, with Sachio and Yukiko was was great. Um, mm. I did also really like the uh, the rap scene, and you know I agree with Amon that it seemed kind of off. But then when you stop and consider that you know Erica Mendez is basically playing what I'm assuming to be roughly eight or nine year old, somewhere around there, like it. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it, it actually seemed like a a fairly solid put-together rap for, like, something a kid basically put together for this um, this little interlude scene. I'd also give some semblance to the fact that I do not believe this actress has ever rapped before, so... Well, there's that, like that's... considering, you know... Like, she has openly said, yeah, I don't think I've not repped before. I was extremely nervous doing this, but they walked me through it, and I think I hope it turned out okay. And it did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, holy crap, Jason Marnocha's, uh, non-boo. Playing a man cut between a rock and a soup pot. The rock is in the pot. The rock is in the pot. It's stone soup, guys. They're making stone soup. <sighs> With a person. Oh, good lord. Anyway, anyway. There's your kindergarten nostalgia trip right there for the episode. Um, I, I think... Like... I'm gonna be honest, um, based, based on the way that we usually do this, um, since it is eligible, um, Jason Marnosha is, at the moment, a frontrunner for 
at least one of my Debbies this year for this performance. Mm. It is rock solid. He is a man both scared, determined to get out of his situation, but also in that determination falls back into his situation repeatedly. The man is... The man of Gunsaku Nambu is essentially a Mobius strip. He mm. climbs he climbs out of the pit only to be kicked back in. So he climbs up again and gets kicked down again. Wash, rinse, repeat. You really start to get the sense of this despair around the halfway point of the show and then in the semi-final match of Megalomania where essentially Nanbu is being forced to make the ultimate choice of should he force Joe to throw the match to make a bunch of rich people money and he tries to do that but then he realizes Joe's not going to do that and so he ultimately has to make a very big sacrifice in the middle of that fight which it's also worth mentioning, he had already done this before. In the past. Mm. He wasn't just born with an eye patch. Yeah, spoiler alert, he takes out his one good eye. The He took out one, then he lost the other. Oh god, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk more about that scene in a little bit, but holy shit when that finally happened. I'm like Cause I was thinking, okay, Nanbu's gonna fucking die in this scene when I was first watching it. I'm like, okay, Nanbu's dead, Nanbu's dead, Nanbu's wait, Nanbu's alive? What did he do? Oh my fucking god! Where'd that blood come from? Oh god. And then I remember five minutes earlier where it's like, he's eating the fucking fish and he's poking its eyes! Fuck! Uh, that, that was such a great scene. And, like, the little speeches he gets in that story arc are just spectacular. Mm. And, you know, after he is basically entirely blind and talking to Sachio about how he's able to figure out what what Joe is doing in the ring based on the sounds he can hear. Like, he is that good of a coach that he can even without sight, he can advise Joe on his stance, on his on what his opponent is up to. Like, it was great. I love, I love when he's chastising him when he's, like, blind. Why are you walking like a f newborn baby cow who's practically deranged? What's wrong with you? But, yeah, the, these were both very solid performances, and um, Jason Marnocha's might be my favorite of the entire thing. So, yeah. Alrighty. Lack. Um, well, it's kind of funny that the two were sort of... The, the two we're talking about here, because... In the case of Saggio, I think they picked the very obvious choice, and for Nanbu, I was not expecting the choice at all, honestly, because I had really only heard Jason and Jojo when he was when he was Keicho. Um, but yeah, they're both 
fairly solid performances. Uh, you know, Jason was not my first choice for Nambu, but I think he came into the character perfectly fine. And Sachio, Erica as Sachio seemed to make a lot of sense. Uh, these, you know, Sachio is the kind of character she usually plays. So there is an element of that. I mean, she Aladdin and, you know, in Maki and all those kind of boy characters that she usually plays. So, yeah, both of them were really strong. Uh, it was funny that the rap was dubbed in English. I was not expecting that. Um, and, yeah, there was a lot of vulnerability in, for the performance of Nambu that I really liked. Um, Nambu is a really complex character for this kind of show, and I think Jason did a great job with him. Uh, I think Sachio... Such a little less complicated, but still complicated. Uh, I think Erica did a great job for Sachio as well. So, yeah, that's pretty much what I have to say. So. Okay. Uh, Erica Mendez. She fucking raps 10 out of 10. Uh, Zagat rating. Uh, perfection. Um, okay, no. but No, the rap was a very fun part that I, I knew in general. That's got to be very difficult to try and get the verse right that was pre-established and also dubbing it in English in a natural way, keeping the, the verses. It's like, that's tough. And she hasn't rapped before. And she does a relatively good job with it, which is impressive. But no, uh, Sachio is this really spunky little shrimp um, who's got a lot of heart to him and cares a lot. And I love when he steps in when uh, Joe and Nanbu are have, have their heads up their asses during the uh, shark Sanajima fight, and, and uh, Sachio's just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Okay, no. Sachio is a good boy who does not say fuck, but I would imagine if he's around Nanbu long enough, he would, in fact, say fuck regularly. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> he's a street urchin. He definitely swears. Okay, let Sachio say fuck. He does, constantly, off-camera. That's why we don't see oh. it. Boo! Okay. I, I, let that be my decree. Let Sachio say fuck. Um, anyways, no. When when Sachio's just chewing them both out for having their heads up their ass and not believing them, it's like, do you even want to work as a team? Do you actually want to do this? And it's like... Sachio's very angry, but also has a heart of gold because of all the shit that happened with his parents, but really wants to believe in Joe and Nanbu, believe that what they have is something special, and they really can make this miracle happen and go all the way. And you can tell Sachio cares so much, and Erica delivers that level of strength, cocky little, like, cocky little brat tone, but also is kind of adorable and precious, and also just is a, is a brat on the street and sounds like they, they're from the streets and is doing the best they can with the circumstances they give them, and Sacho is a very good kid. Okay, let's talk about uh, Jason Marnocha as Gansaku Nambu. Okay, for the most part, this is a dub of pretty established people in the current landscape of anime English dubs. Like, people who have been pretty big names or are starting to make really big names for themselves. I'd say of this entire cast and of these casting decisions, Jason is still the greenest actor as far as anime is concerned. I say strictly anime because he has actually voiced, fun fact, Megatron in several Transformers cartoons. Okay. 
According to ANN, he's a month older than I am. I've never felt so unaccomplished in my entire life. Damn, okay. But yeah, look. I'm sorry that you're not Megatron. I'm sorry, friend. You're sorry. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. So, as far as, like, anime, he has still done anime recently. But he is relatively the greenest person in this cast. I will go as to say he is the best fucking performance in this show. And there's some really good actors and actresses in this fucking dub. Jason Mardocha steals the show so good in this. It probably helps that is also my favorite character in this show, but even then, when you're my favorite character, I expect, okay, you got a lot of pressure to, to really sell me on this. Jason's perfect. He's this great scummy con man tone of voice, but with this good level of gruffness that continues to impress me. He's got the right level of passion, bravado, cockiness, and sincerity. Jason Mardocha is a real tour de force in an already stacked dub, but he steals the show when compared to his cast of, like, regular veterans at this point. He's genuine, sincere, emotional response to the stuff like with Aragaki and genuinely passionate stuff like believing in Joe and really believing in him. Like, the scene with him basically telling the truth to Joe is heartbreaking. Like, I, I, as going through some of the interviews, they described it. It's basically a literal breakup between these two, and it's heartbreaking, and they really deliver that with, like, that level of passion that, yeah, they really broke up, but... Also, as far as, like, okay, there are two interviews in this, uh, the DVDs. One's with, uh, the voice actor for Joe, and the other with Jason Marnoka. Marnocha. Uh, a couple of interesting things I got from this, where he was talking, where one of the things he was asked was, what was the toughest thing to record as Nanbu? He said it was the barking. Specifically the fact that every time they are doing matches... They described what Nanbu does when he's talking to Joe as barking. Where he has to bark every line. He has to scream it in this scratchy tone of voice. And it's barking at him all the time. The amount of shouting over a very loud crowd that he has to sound loud enough to reach him from the stage with the crowd in the background. And he's just like... Basically, over time, it, it was kind of wearing him down. It was the most physically challenging part of the role for him. And he talks about... And he's talking about when he's uh, talking to his director... So should he bark this at Joe, or is it more of like a call? What's up with that? And, yeah. He barks really good. And also, it's funny that he uses the phrase barking because there's so much doggy symbolism in this. <laughs> Bark. But, oh my god, some of my favorite line deliveries in this fucking show is like... A uh, funny thing I noticed last time was that he says early on in the show, when you first meet him, he loses at the dog race. And the first thing he really says when you really know him, that's the last time I bet on a stupid dog. And I thought, oh, oh, the irony of that. That's and gonna bite him in the ass later on. Uh, and then just, oh, when he finally steps up to... When he finally steps up to uh, Fujimaki and he, he literally tells Joe to get up. Nobody's going to take tomorrow from you. Your tomorrow's coming, Joe. You've got the true skills of a, camp of a champion and that's a Gansaku Nanbu guarantee. And also after he rips the 
eye out after he rips the eye out. One of my favorite parts of the show, and Jason delivers this so perfectly. If you're not satisfied with an eyeball as payment, then I'll rip out my damn heart and fork it over to you. And it's like, oh, Nanbu, you fucking bastard. You're so fucking cool. That's so fucking dope. Oh, my God. Jason's perfect as Nanbu. I can't actually imagine anybody else ever playing this character. He made Nanbu his own, and he's perfect. Oh, he's perfect. He's fucking amazing. And yeah, speaking of uh, speaking of Oscar contender roles, as Root said, all I'm gonna say is maybe stick tuned towards the year-end festivities. Also, in a completely unrelated fun fact, um, Jason Mardocha says the part he related most with Nanbu is when when he first meets uh, Joe. He's wearing a very Hawaiian shirt. And he wears a lot of Hawaiian shirts to where the director was looking at him and was like, yeah, yeah, I see it too. I see it. Go watch the interviews when you get a chance. They're actually really fascinating. I got some fun insight on this. Ugh, anyways, I, I love fucking Team Nowhere. But what I love more is the face of Team Nowhere, Gearless Joe, and his rival slash romantic life partner, Yuri, who was of Team Shirato and now is a one-man army. Joe is a slum who has no name, no real records to him. He was just junk dog in the streets before finding his own identity and deciding he wants a new name to be legit. Because to be in Megalonia, you need an official ID. And the good thing about being uh, being in debt to the mob is they can work some shit for you if you're willing to work with them. For an arm and a leg and possibly an eyeball. But yeah, he decides, what's your new name? Joe. And that's the most blatant Ashita no Joe reference in this is that, oh, he wants his name to be Joe. And Yuri is another man who we really don't know much about, but Shirato, uh, Yukiko picked it, Shirato picked him up. They integrated him with gear that's so good, it's basically a part of his body. And by the time Megalonia happens, he's like, you know what? Joe's fighting all this without his, with his all. I want to fight him with everything I got without any technology. So he literally goes up to Mikio and is like, hey, rip this shit out of me. And it does. And it hurts like hell. But he does it anyway, and he gets a badass scar from it. And then he fights Joe, and it's basically the single most badass romantic fight scene you've ever seen. Look, it's, it's, very, it's very homoerotic. Okay. Playing the role of Yuri is Lex Lang. And playing our gearless Joe is Keiji Tang. Lex Lang has played such characters as Flashy Flash in One Punch Man, Soichiro Kuzuki from Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works, Anjiro Katagiri from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Diamond is Unbreakable, and Goemon Ishikawa the 13th from many, many Lupin dubs, but specifically... Part 4, Part 5, and Goemon's Blood Spray feature film. Keiji Tang has played such characters as Oma Tokita from Kangon Ashura, Hendrickson from The Seven Deadly Sins, Archer from Fate's Day Night Unlimited Blade Works, and Osamu Dazai from Bungo Stray Dogs. And he's playing yet another stray dog, Ahmad! Tell us your thoughts. Certainly. 
let's start off with Lex Lang as Yuri. Um, he's great. <laughs> um, Yuri, Yuri is not. I mean, he's not. He's not silent per se, but he's not as talkative as some of the other characters. Um, there's a, there's a very there's a there's a quietness to him almost. Like he he's not somebody who. Uh, you know, he's not somebody who can like kind of see what's going on in his head all that obviously uh, all the time. I think Lex Lane plays that very well, um, but when he needs to like really get into it, like when he's called, you know, like any times he's like calling Joe out of like I'm gonna fight you, Joe, uh, or even better in the um, what match is it? Uh, uh, no, the one, the one, the one towards the end in like the final four, where like it looks like oh, Joe's the one where lose. Joe's up against Glenn Burroughs. Yeah, and, and then Yuri just fucking shows up, and it's like I'm not gonna fight Glenn. I'm gonna fight you. And just the chat, it's just like we're fighting Joe. Make it happen. <laughs> Don't chump out to this guy. He's not worth the my time. You are. I'd watch these two fight. We did watch these two fight. <laughs> No, I meant I'd watch these two oh. fight it out. Oh, it's AO3, Andrew. We keep telling you this. Okay, let me actually check to see if there's stuff on AO3 there's, right there's, now. Please there's going to be at least one. I'm going to be frank with you. Um, anyways, okay. Uh, it's just it's it's just it's such a it's just, it's such a nice performance because so much of Yuri is a mystery, like to the point where like I mean both as we mentioned earlier, both Yuri and Joe like we don't know a lot about their backstory, but like even the little we get about Joe is more than we ever get about Yuri, who's just there, and he's really good at fighting people. Um, uh, and I, I I just think Lex Lang plays that very well, making him very enigmatic and knowing when to pull back and when to be more you know when he has those scenes where he's like you know we're gonna duke it out this is this is how it's gonna go down. Of being a lot more uh, forceful and uh, just sort of what do you call it uh, extroverted. Uh, he's just it's just a real like, it's just a really good performance. Uh, he always felt like you know the best I can say is that he always just felt like oh that's the rival. Like there was never any quite he seemed he felt so quintessentially the rival of this story from just the first time he came on screen and i think I, I think lex lang's performance helped a lot with that like there's this, this there's this quintessentialness about yuri's character that i think lex lang really nailed and i was really impressed with this performance the whole time and oh keiji tang is joe i've, I've heard keiji in a bunch of things and he, he, he's a good actor like i i think like his it, like his average level of acting is like very high this is so good this might be my favorite performance of, of something i've seen him in he is so good in this performance. He is so wonderfully just raw and angry and funny and you know he's and you know he's so determined and he gets joyful and happy, you know, when things actually start like they're looking up and they might be able to pull off this ridiculous pipe dream they concocted. Uh he's he's so good at it. He feels so it feels so natural. It's another performance where it's like I'm not thinking about like, oh, there's an actor here, he's doing it's like, no, this is just Joe. This is Joe clawing for his life. This is Joe fighting people against the odds. This is Joe doing the impossible because what other choice does he have? Um, it's just, it's such a strong performance from him. He feels so just great. Um, I almost find it hard to like put into specifics. Like it just, it feel it feels like too, 
it almost feels too perfect for me to discuss in, a, in like a meaningful way other than just like this is excellent and i love it um yeah just what a what a great performance I don't have anything more insightful to say. It's just this is this is wonderful. I'm so glad these two are the leads in this show. Um, they're 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 absolutely top notch, and I think I think this whole dub like just adds to the overall quality of the show. But I think these two in particular just they're just they're just that little bit more that just makes it yes. This is so good. Thank you very much, Amon. Thank you for sharing, <laughs> and you'll be happy to know that on Ao3 I found thirty Junk Dog Joe Yuri fan fictions. Many of them are in Japanese, some are in Russian, but the one explicit English Junk Dog Joe Yuri fan fiction I found does also include post 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 coital cuddling for those who like post coital cuddling. <laughs> It also features it also features hair pulling and anal sex for all your hair pulling and anal sex dudes. Look, look, you can laugh at AO3's tagging system all you want, but they want a fucking Hugo for that thing. So jokes also, on you. Also, I don't even need to read it to to find out who's the top and who's the bottom. They tell me in the tags. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Rose Merriam. <laughs> Uh, for anybody who's curious, uh, Yuri's the bottom, Joe's the top. Okay. Oh, for anybody who wants to fight this in inquiry or wants to write something else, please give the world more of your, uh, Joe, Yuri, uh, NSFW smut fan fictions. Go for it. Go wild. Go nuts. Show nuts. The correct term is lemon, Andrew. Yes. Hi, I'm really old. Nice to meet you, audience. When life gives you lemons, <laughs> squirt the lemonade into a cup. <laughs> Anyways. Um, Roots of Justice, I've probably made you extremely uncomfortable. Now, please continue. Uh, I, I, okay. This is a great episode. <laughs> so, under ordinary circumstances, if I say... Uh, performance feels a little bit stiff. That's not necessarily a good thing. But in the case of Lexling's Yori, it actually added a bit to the character. Because um, Yuri, to me, seems like a very stoic kind of... Like, he just wants to fight people who are worth his time. And it feels like He's been bored most of his life because, well, at least post-joining Team Shirato and getting the integrated gear grafted onto his body and, you know, basically being an unstoppable punching machine. He's bored. And, you know, encountering Joe brings something out of him that he is willing to tug against the leash of Team Shirato and make something great out of himself. And I really like that. I like, um, I like Lex Ling's performance. It's very simple, but it also feels like he understands the role of Yuri as Joe's brick wall toward his goals. He is the one thing that stands between Joe and winning Megalomania. And 
like I said, I don't have much to say other than I really like the performance. But at the same time, Yuri's a very quiet character and doesn't really get to speak or emote much outside of the ring, so yeah. Now... I'm gonna be honest, for a split second, I thought you said Megalovania. <sighs> I... I'm kind of tired, so I wouldn't be surprised if I did. Do-do-do-do. Continue. Da-da-da-da! Anyway. Um... Same can't be said of Keiji Tang's, uh, Gearless Joe. I... Absolutely love the charisma he gave the character. Like, he has a very... He has every intention of punching his way up to the top. He... He's gruff, but he also has a soft side to him. And I will be honest, this is a range that I did not expect out of KG Tang, even post-Bungo Stray Dogs, which completely blew my expectations of KG Tang out of the water already. So, both were really great. Um, I'm trying to think of a particular standout moment for the both of them. Um... Actually, for Yuri, I would say it's when he first comes to the cabin to get his, um, to get his gear removed. And he's, um, he's talking to Mikio and basically trying to convince him to do the procedure. And, um, let's see here. There's a lot of great stuff with Joe. I'm trying to pinpoint something he does that just particularly stands out above all others. You know what? There's a couple of good scenes. You know what? I'm going to say it's the fight between him and Nambu toward the end of the show when he's been asked to throw the fight. Oh, the breakup. Yeah. Like, I think that is a standout for both, um, for both Keiji Tang and Jason Marnocha. Just that sheer rush of just angry energy from the both of them. It's great. And both of these performances were really great. Thumbs up. Excellent. Lack, lay it on us. Um, so regarding uh, Lex Lang as Yuri, uh, Lex Lang is very good at these kind of roles. Um, the first one that comes to mind is Goemon. His take on Goemon for Lupin the Third. So he's very good at playing stoic characters um, who have a presence about them. For, for KG Tang was not actually my first choice for uh, Joe for Junk Dog, so it was actually surprising to hear that he was cast. But as I began to hear him in the role, I, I really started to understand why he was picked. Um, it's not a typical role for him, so it was really interesting to hear him play this kind of guy. I mean, at one point he was the voice of Kenshiro in a Fist of the North Star video game, so to go from that to playing um, playing like Joe is pretty interesting um th there's a lot of i liked about these performances uh there's a lot of inquiet intensity regarding both the characters a little less with joe uh, like joe has a lot of outbursts that keiji tang does very well but yuri has a very quiet intensity that i like a lot like he's almost robotic which i think is a good idea for this type of character um yeah 
not much else for me to say, honestly. Um, and but yeah, it, and actually, it, sorry it, if I'm interrupting, but I'm I'm glad you brought up the sort of robotic part. Yeah, because one thing I really like is, um, he seems very robotic up until the point he gets his gear removed, and then he starts seeming more and more human. Right, which it's, was actually a. Yeah, that was a very good scene, and, and Lex Lang played that very well, actually. I, it also feels like a lot of Yuri is kind of trying to find himself, be like, am I really a man, or am I a machine? Yeah. It's kind of like that whole angle. Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty much all I had to say. So. Alrighty. Now, my thoughts on our, our best couple of the show, a.k.a. Okay, look, there's a lot of homoeroticism with these two, but don't tell me you didn't see it. Don't tell me you didn't see it. Okay, so let's start with Lex Lang, because Lex Lang was one I wasn't really sure of at first. I've heard him as Goemon and really liked him as Goemon, but I wasn't quite sure how I was feeling at with Yuri at first. He sounded like he was good for it, but it's hard to tell in the early episodes if he's really, like, exceptional as it. But as he starts showing a little more of, like, as he starts rebelling against his master a little more, he starts showing his true colors and his true passion for fighting and that desire to really face Joe in the arena. And he starts showing a lot more of himself, and he's doing a really strong job with it. And then when he decides, oh, I want this, ar this shit taken off of me. I'm not the gear, I'm me. And then he rips it off. That scream he makes when literally he wakes up and the anesthesia wears off. Blood-curdling screams of pain and agony. Like, oh yeah, I just ripped out something that was basically part of my flesh. That hurts. And Lex does a great job screaming that. And also really, really good with the intense fighting noise and choreographies, especially in the final fight with him and Joe. It's so, 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 so goddamn good. Mm. It's really strong. Lex Lang does a good job sounding kind of cold and alien at times, but then gradually growing more and more ravenous, human, and almost hungry for battle. Like... The pure fight sexual tension between him and Yuri in, like, the second, first and second episode of the show is so palpable. And Lex does a pretty good job reciprocating it. But man, if you really want to talk sexy... Holy shit, Keiji Tang. Like, Joe's already a pretty attractive looking guy, but... There's a couple of growls that Keiji throws in there where even I'm kind of like... Woo! She's it hot in here or is it just me? It's like, wow. Wow, wow, wow. KG has this wonderfully deep, sultry growl to him. Like, when it comes to that. But he just is so very strong-willed. He's very earnest. He's very honest. Honest to a fault, basically. Like, as going through the interviews, it's basically, as KG put it, he's extremely honest and blunt he's he would make hang on, let me see if i can find the actual quote i like how straightforward and earnest he is he's good at a lot of things but he's not a good liar and an even worse criminal because yeah he, he hates faking it 
He wants to go all out. Oh my god, I was not even trying for the innuendo anymore. And I'm just like, oh, he's tired of faking it. Oh, Christ. Anyways, but no, like, there is this level of, like, honest shonen hero to it where it's just like, I really want a good fight. I want to give it my all, and he doesn't know when to quit. And at first, Joe seems a lot more simple than you really think. But when Joe starts showing what he's about, like, when you find out what he... Because he touches the walls a lot during the show. And you find out, oh, yeah, that's what he does when he's afraid. When he's afraid, he says, touch something around you. doesn't matter what it is. It helps you focus, puts you in the moment, reminds you of what to do. And that's his coping mechanism for when things get too rough, too real, and he's afraid, genuinely so. Because Joe seems like a tough guy who can take anything the world throws at him. But he's he's human. He's scared. When he's in the Sanajima fight, he's genuinely like his mind and body are fighting each other. And he doesn't know what to do. And he's just like at odds. And he doesn't know what to do. And Joe brings this strength, this power, this passion to it. You feel the excitement. You feel the rage. You feel the, like, fight tension. You feel the gruff. You feel the growl. You feel the snarling fangs ready to pounce. You feel it all, and Keiji Tang does so, so good with this particular performance. There's two things I want to mention that, going through the interview that I actually learned that I think are really, really interesting. Okay, actually, maybe three things. Uh, specifically... There was a certain thing that uh, KG did to prepare for the role of Joe, which basically it was suggested by his wife, but he watches a lot of MMA and there is a specific way fighters breathe when they're fighting. It's not like a, <laughs> it's a very short, compact, <laughs> and he picked, you pick up a lot of air control and he wanted to make Joe sound like he was an experienced veteran fighter and not just an amateur where he's just doing ha, 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 ha. and you hear that a lot going through it again there's just like very quick which they actually apparently just straight up created in a library of sound effects because basically a lot of them can sound very similar but you don't want them to sound the exact same because it's like how many times can you get hit in the face and make it sound completely di different because if Joe's going to get hit one episode, he needs to sound different every other episode. So they straight up made a library of getting hit reaction noises. So like when the show was done recording, if KG wasn't available, they just straight up went to the, okay, let's go to the hit in the face library and pick something out of that. So they have an entire wall of library that's just KG Tang getting punched in the face. And they use that a lot. To which I'd also like to commemorate KG Tang as an actor and performer working through adversity. Because another thing I figured I learned. Did you know that during recording of this, he was fighting an autoimmune disease? Oh god, this was recorded during that? Yes. Oh, that's spe no fun. Specifically, it, it was Still's disease, where basically he was partially crippled hobbling into work and... He's like, and then they come into me like, okay, you got to record that shark fight. So the reaction noises for the Sharks on a Jima fight in particular were very legit. 
He was working through some real pain during that, and holy shit, man. I can't even imagine. But, like, even though I said Jason Bardot's just, like, my favorite performance, Keiji Tang is a fucking impressive actor. Joe is a really interesting character, and I definitely say, as far as Keiji Tang performances, this is one that's definitely up there for him. I definitely say, uh, I... I don't know if I would say top five, because he's got some really good ones in there. Absolutely top ten. Absolutely top ten. May he's probably cracking, like, number four or number five if he is in top five. I, I need to make this list. But holy shit, Keiji Tang is so fucking good. And these two really nail it. And the final episode is basically watching two people fuck so hard that one kind of loses their legs. <sighs> okay, no, uh, Lex Lang and Keiji Tang are fucking phenomenal as Yuri and Gearless Joe. I know I made a lot of jokes, but really, they're, they're fucking perfect. And with that, let's take us to the final thoughts, the match review. Amon. Uh, this dub's great. It's absolutely amazing. I, th I feel like I made that pretty clear. <laughs> I see. You have made it pretty clear. You seem to enjoy it quite a bit. This is a really good show and a really good dub. I'm, I'm very happy. This this feels like this feels like the kind of thing where if uh, Toonami, I don't, I don't, obviously I'm not really privy to what Toonami's ratings are these days. Um, but if Toonami had the kind of rate, had the kind of viewership, well, this was airing that Adult Swim had back when it first started. I feel like you would, you would be like ten years from now, you find a whole legion of It's like. Yeah, I wasn't an anime, and then I watched this thing called Megalobox on TV, and man, I wanted more of that. Uh, like, this is this is a really good show, and a really good dub, and I'm really happy I watched it. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you did, too. So, Roots. Yeah, um, kind of going off what Amon was saying, if this show had come out around the time that the, um that the visuals were obviously inspired by, as in, you know, mid to late 2000s, around the time, like, Adult Swim was kind of slowing down their anime pickups. If this had been produced around then, and they picked it up and aired it, like, around this time, it would probably be one of the big standout starter pack anime. Like, it is that good, and the dub is that good. And, you know, I'm I'm really glad that we're doing this episode because I get to evangelize Megalobox to the masses. Because mm -hmm. this is this is very easily one of the strongest dubs of the year. Mm. For a show that very much deserves it. Uh, well, my final thoughts are the dub, as I said before, the dub sounded a little rough to me, but all around it, it was okay. Like, like I, I really liked what, I, I think everybody was cast exceptionally well, even the people I wasn't expecting I think were cast well. Uh, I liked how they tried to make it raw and visceral in the same way the anime was, and I really appreciated that. Um, I think they, they really tried their best to, to keep this sort of grounded in the same way that the show itself was, in spite of, like, being science fiction. Re really soft science fiction, but still science fiction. Um, yeah, I don't really have any complaints. Uh, sometimes the performances sounded a little stiff to me, but it wasn't enough for me to dislike the dub at all. So, yeah. Alrighty. 
As for me, I was already a fan of the show Megalobox already, and this dub is strong and packs. Okay, Amon, I know you said you were going to punch me for this. Oh, it's fine. Go ahead. This dub is really good, and it really packs a punch. See this, Andrew? I get one! See this, Andrew? I get one! See this, Andrew? I get one! Do you see this, Andrew? I see the fucking soup pot! I, I see the soup! <laughs> I see the man boiling alive! I know what I did! I don't regret it! I needed the world to hear that! Get in the soup pot, Andrew. <laughs> Fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna at least say my thoughts before I finish boiling, okay? Uh, this is a show that really was given a lot of care and passion to from behind the scenes. You could really tell that a lot of effort went into this, into the making of the show, and the dub follows suit. It's really an exceptional cast and crew. They were giving their all. It's a con it's a small, relatively small cast, but they're really giving like they're all for this one and a couple of regular veterans giving some really strong performances and some relative fresh faces giving some of the best i've heard all year this sounds like a dub that is really strong captivating and just really 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 well well put together and this show is just very passionately put together the score the visual motif the designs Everything that goes into it. This is a love letter passion project through and through, and you feel it. And it's just a really, really good show that I highly recommend you check out. As for where you can check the show out, the dub is currently... The dub is actually not streaming anywhere, unfortunately. It is currently, at the time of this recording, only available on home video, and we hope that changes relatively soon within the near future. Oh, is Adult but Swim you can streaming the dub anymore? No. Uh, it w Okay, the dub of this was previously streaming on uh, Toonami and Adult Swim, but that has since uh, been taken down. The dub is currently available from the Viz Media home video release. If you would like to watch the sub as well, you can find it over on things like Crunchyroll and Hulu. But the dub at the time of this recording is currently locked to the home video release, which I highly recommend. I even got the limited edition, which is a really, really nice art book in like orange set. It's easily the brightest, it's easily the brightest limited edition on my shelf right now. It's very nice. You can't lose it in the night. It's great. No, I, I had it sitting on my shelf and it just, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Nothing Anime doesn't use colors that neon usually. At least it's, not in their packaging. It's, a, it's very Naruto colors, which is very fitting considering this is a Viz Media show. Yeah, uh, and if you want that limited Viz edition, it is like, from what I can see, still very readily available from anime retailers. But I highly recommend it. It's a very nice set. I think they did a very good job with it. And... That's where you can watch it. If you would like to tune into us, we are the Dub Talk Podcast. We are people who talk about anime and English dubs. You can find us over on YouTube at Dub Talk Podcast. We also have a Twitter. We have a Tumblr that is no longer active anymore. Uh, Instagram and Twitch channel. We also have a Ko-fi page where you can give us a quick little donation. Or, if you would like to be here for the long haul, we have our actual Patreon, which, as part of our patrons who pledge and support us, we'd like to give shoutouts to Crimson Echidna, Michelle Travis, Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands, 
Carly Lestikow, Jacob Wilson, J2, a.k.a. Jared, Marco Bermudez, Marissa Lenti, and Weeby. You can also find us on our RSS feed, which by the time of this recording is close to completion and will probably have launched by the time this has come out. So if you'd like to take our episodes on the go, in the car, and listen to us in your ear, in your ear, in audio format, you can go to the RSS feed and download there. Thank you to our patrons for helping us support that and get that off the ground. Now, to you beautiful people, would you like to tell the audience where to find you? Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, pretty much you can find me at Black the Watcher on Twitter. Any links that you need from me are going to be there. Uh, ba- basically, yeah, I have my YouTube, which is kind of Black the Watcher slash Liam AC. Haven't really done much with it because I've been kind of busy with work and all that stuff. Um, yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me. So, yeah. I am Roots of Justice. You can find me on the Twitter.com, at Roots of Justice. Uh, where I mainly just retweet cute animal pics, mainly pugs. Uh, ge- talk general fandom every once in a while. And, um, I'm writing reviews to put up somewhere. I'm probably gonna pitch them to, like, the fandom posts. Do my own blog. Stuff. Exciting stuff. Moving forward. Awesome. Good stuff. Mm. And Amon, would you like to plug yourself? Sure. And I'm really excited about this one. Actually, wait, no, wait. Plug yourself, then we'll plug your other thing. Yes, yes. Um, I'm Amon. You can find me at uh, Amon Duel US on Twitter. Duel has two U's in it. I talk about movies and uh, music and comic books, and I talk about the store I work in, which sells comic books. It's, it's fun. Uh, um, yeah, that's really... I might resurrect my blog at some point, but I'm not gonna... I, I promoted that for a while, and it just... Yeah, they're cobwebs, so we'll see about that. Um, and I, I do have a Dusty Old song. Yes, yes. I really want to know what Dusty Old song you picked for right, this so show in particular. If you, if you, as you, audience, as you watch the show, you will note that the music slaps real fucking hard. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, <laughs> oh, it slaps great. so fucking good. Soundtrack's great. The ending song is amazing. But I want to focus on the uh, the song used for the OP uh, because, to my ears, it basically sounds kind of like what if Duran Duran were a little grungier in Japanese, which <laughs> is not a song I thought I'd run into, but it's really good. Um, so that, that inspired me. I wanted to recommend something from Duran Duran's first album before they, you know, they were never not polished, but if there's an unpolished Duran Duran, it's probably their, like, you know, their really early stuff. Uh, I was originally going to suggest Girls on Film, but as far I would think, I probably don't need to recommend that to anime fans because that was used as the opening to an actual anime. Yeah, it was, yeah. Even even if uh, the U.S. release can't use that because no anime distributor has Duran Duran money even in this day and age, um, you should still listen to Girls on Film because it's a great song. Um, but in lieu of that, I'll I'll recommend another single from that album, Careless Memories, uh, which, fun fact, per Wikipedia, uh, the band resurrected the song to play live during their reunion shows in 2004 and 2005. The song was accompanied on video screens behind the stage by a unique anime-style video. Featuring stylized versions of the band members fighting giant monsters, spaceships, and destroying a skyscraper labeled EMI, a dig at the band's old record label. Oh. No fucking way. Uh, also, also in, a, in a, an amazing coincidence, I literally cannot believe the B-side of that single was a song called Kaneda, 
Are you fucking... Oh and, my god. And, and even better, this song came out in 1981, so that is a complete coincidence. Amon, I fucking love you. Oh my god. God, the story of that that video is just beautifully petty. I wanna, I wanna, if I can, if I, if it's floating around online, I'll see if I can dump a link in the description or something. Excellent. Alright, my name is Andrew, aka Classy Spartan. You can find me over on Twitter at Mangaman9000. I am a moderator, community manager for the Funimation Forums and Discord, and I'm also a podcaster on Surreal Resolutions anime-based news podcast, Podcast ONA, alongside fellow Dub Talk podcast aficionado, Jet. And with that, the bell has rung. We've hit the last round. It's time for the results and for a winner to be decided. Good night, everybody. Otaku on, my friends. And remember, no one makes tombs for stray dogs. And we're not dead yet. Good night. Otaku on, Dabas. Rock on, Boston. Rock on, Cleveland. Fuck, you're a little bit of 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 a little b